RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Episode 17, Draft Memo from Gene Roddenberry to Jerry Eisenberg, Part 2, Circa July, 1976. This episode of The Trek Files is sponsored by the official Star Trek Starships XL Editions, large format ships officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and get the USS Voyager for 20% off and with free shipping. For details, visit st-starshipsxl.com slash thetrekfiles. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, deep divers. And Trekophiles, spelling that with an F. Once again, we're back here on The Trek Files uh, with a great, a great second segment here of this memo we're looking at from Gene to, uh, we've called out of Gene's archives a never-before-seen memo at an interesting time, pivotal time, in almost lost history, although we're starting to record it now and archive it. The time in the 70s when Star Trek was struggling to find its way back. The fan movement was booming, exploding, nothing like it had ever been seen before. No dead little TV show had ever been made into a motion picture. That was the route that Paramount seemed to be taking with Star Trek. And... We're talking a year or two before Star Wars changed everything. This is even before Star Wars. Paramount's decided they want to bring Star Trek back in some way. Gene Roddenberry's had his shot with the God thing. It was rejected. Now they've reached out to producer Jerry Eisenberg and another couple of script writers. Um, this is segment two. We're looking at another part of this amazing memo Gene wrote to introduce Jerry Eisenberg to everything Star Trek despite what maybe some of those studio suits latter-day Paramount people had told him. And, uh, well, here's another section of the memo. Again, this is 1976, and Gene is talking about, pay no attention to those stereotypes you may be reading in the mainstream media or even from Paramount memos. Here's what I think about our Star Trek audience. Here's a story. There still exists at Paramount some residue of the old attitude that the show's fan movement is sort of a teeny bopper thing. That conception has been very hard to change and could hurt the film if key merchandising, publicity, or legal decisions were made with this misconception. The fact is that the last year or so has seen a tremendous explosion of Star Trek interests out into occupation and age groups which studios have never before associated with the word fan. Recently, I took an airplane flight to Atlanta, a cabin filled with Los Angeles Bar Association officers attending a national conference. It seemed inconceivable that top-flight, pragmatic attorneys could be Star Trek fans. The fact exists that I found myself a minor celebrity when my name was seen on my attaché case tag. I have had the same experience in equally unlikely settings such as country club dinners, political gatherings, and in television station newsrooms. The point of all this is not that Roddenberry is a minor celebrity. The issue is demographics. Star Trek fans, you asked for bigger ships, and now you've got bigger ships. The official Star Trek Starships XL editions from Eagle Moss are twice as large as the standard models. 
Officially authorized by CBS Studios, each iconic ship is die-cast and hand-painted. And each comes with an in-depth magazine featuring production artwork, highlights of the ship's history, design, and a breakdown of the technology on board, along with crew and weapons. Start your collection today with the 10-inch XL Edition USS Voyager for only $59.95 with free shipping. New models ship every other month for the same low price with free shipping, and you may cancel your subscription at any time. For details and to order, visit st-starshipsxl.com slash thetrekfiles. Go big with the official Star Trek Starships XL editions at st-starshipsxl.com slash thetrekfiles. You can see that document, if you hadn't already, at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. I just think it's fascinating that, that there are already stereotypes of fans after the teeny bopper movement, so-called, uh, that was misleading. And that Gene already finds himself having to, to allay those stereotypes, much less to the incoming new, new guy on the block. And although she was not part of this immediate circle at the time of what was going on with Star Trek... I can think of no one better to just talk about the mid-70s and what was going on, what the subtext of this memo is, than our good friend Dorothy Fontana, welcoming back to the Trek Files again. Dorothy, of course, was story editor on the original series, associate producer and story editor on the animated series, story editor on The Next Generation, wrote the pilot encounter at Farpoint, and for so many years before that and along through was Gene Roddenberry's Girl Friday, right-hand man. You you come up with the right <laughs> gender stereotype. She was there. And Dorothy, I know this wasn't during your time on the show or with Jean, but it's still an interesting moment in time that I think you can bring some insight to. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> how, how does that, how does that, again, this is 1976 and putting our heads back, um, Jean wasn't going to be the head guy on this project. So he's wanting to keep himself going. But uh, two months after this memo was written, the Space Shuttle Enterprise the fans wrote in to name the space shuttle Enterprise as another sign of where Star Trek was in the zeitgeist, right? Right. Um, this is the 70s. Uh, he's, ta- he's trying to convince the new guy. Uh, it's not the teeny bopper, Adrian. But you had gone to early conventions. You had gotten all that fan mail back in the 60s, as we've already heard. Um, this is no surprise to you, right? Absolutely not. Um, and, in fact, the teeny bopper, that, that's the... Uh, a poor reference to our fans, and most of them were very mature, college students and above, young professionals, married couples, uh, professional people of older. Uh, we had fans of all sizes and ages, if you will, uh, and they really loved the show. We were still getting uh, fan mail on the show, but it also had gone into reruns. And right. um, so if you hadn't seen it the first time around and you encountered it again, then people became fans. Uh, and I was going to the conventions, and they came in all types, sizes, and ages. Um, and uh, it, it just was wonderful to walk out onto a stage and see a room full of a thousand people, all such Star Trek fans, such Star Trek fans, and and uh, still loving the show, even though it had not been on the air in any way, shape, or form for quite a long time. Well, at least three years now, because we did the animated series in 1973. Right. And that was just one year. Well... Year and a half, but it's only about uh, twenty 
four or five episodes total because it was 16 and then I think it was another six. So that was like 22, no, 22 episodes. Yeah, say, yeah. yeah, 22. Well, again, Gene shares this in this memo to Jerry Eisenberg. He shares this story about being on this flight with attorneys. Now, yes. I think 2017 and modern day, we think about, well, the Big Bang Theory generation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the geeks won. <laughs> Apple, Microsoft, you know, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Um, the geeks won, and we expect that now. They, the merchandise that sold decorates accountants and lawyers' offices and dental offices and doctors. You know, everybody has that, and we don't think about that so much early on. But it's not like the, the high school and college kids had to mature. No. You had that age range at we the did. beginning. We right? did, very much so. Uh, and we got very interesting letters from some of these older people who saw things in Star Trek that spoke to them. Whether it was a racial situation, whether it was a gender situation, uh, something they may have gone through themselves, they related to the characters we had on the show and how we were telling our stories and what stories we were telling. Uh, we always had a range of age, always. Well, he another piece of the memo here that everybody can follow along with this is he says, um, Gene says, in a personal story, he was in Portland, Oregon, out of eight or 9,000 people. And, of course, he's doing his college tour here to, mm-hmm. to pay the mortgage <laughs> while one of these projects pans out. Um, out of eight or 9,000 people in Portland, Oregon, almost half of them were over 30. And at least 20% of the audience looked to be in their 40s and 50s and up. And it, he's def- then he's defending. He says, again, I am not explaining. I am simply reporting. <laughs> like, don't blame me. I'm not making this up. But he also was looking also to trying to say, look, if we're going to do an, a movie – he says, at the time, 1976, he says, I think there are three audiences out there. Well, there's the chunk that are never going to see a Star Trek. But of the people who are likely to buy a ticket, we have the hardcore Trekkie audience, he says. Then there's the broader base who enjoy it, maybe, but don't think of themselves as fans. And then the third group are people who are Trek curious, <laughs> maybe. Yes. They've heard about this phenomenon out there, and they're, and they're opening to go see it. And he's cautioning the new guy. There's a general belief, consensus among this group that uh, of, the, of the people who are big Star Trek fans, that people of intelligence or goodwill would approve of this. He says it's almost – he says he thinks it's going to become something of this generation's apple pie and motherhood, which was – I never heard that put quite that way. <laughs> but I guess if we look around today, that's pretty much where it is. And it certainly came out again when, when Leonard passed. I think that was the moment that – if nothing else, I think that was the moment that the world got. I remember a fan online somewhere saying, well, I wonder if the mainstream media is going to give this any attention. And I wrote back even then, and I said, they are the mainstream media. That generation has, you know, what's, what Star Trek and Spock and Leonard meant to ongoing generations, uh, we are the world. Don't you think? I agree. I agree entirely. We've always had such a broad range of fans from the ones who just really like the show, period, or like the specific character, to the ones who are broader-based science fiction fans. And it fit in. It was science fiction. They liked it. And then people who come to it fresh and say, oh, this is interesting. Hmm, maybe I'll watch that again. <laughs> uh, it's We've always attracted fans. And uh, today, Star Trek is running multiple times every day. <laughs> In addition to Next Gen, and uh, they, unfortunately they haven't done the animated series, but uh, uh, you can see Star Trek, the original series, or Star Trek The Next Generation, or DS9, uh, and others, uh, Voyager, etc. Um, they're all there, and they're all on television 
at least once a week, if not continually, <laughs> for right. some of them. Right. The the networks that run them and the streaming on the streaming service has been a revolution. And yes. a lot of people point to the J.J. Kelvin movies, and they did. They brought in a ton of new fans. But yes. I think sometimes we're just now realizing what streaming. Especially for DS9, which a lot of people gave it was so it was so radically serialized for the time. Yes, and people gave up on it, or it was in horrible. It was the last syndicated show and in a horrible time slot. And it's much more popular now than it was when it was on the air. And uh, and and the reaction to Discovery ongoing is going to be interesting to watch. But the the fact that in 2017, this whole new later generation or two of fans, knowing that I, I just love how things are so radically different, but they're exactly the same. And that first sampling of fandom that the show attracted, the original series attracted and set the stage for everything else to come, uh, is affecting people exactly the same way. And some of them are still out there, still, you know, now doing it online, communication, but uh, <laughs> still letting us know that Star Trek is still a pretty darn good show. Right. And in the middle of all that, the the, the uh, mutual love affair with NASA and Star Trek oh, yes. started, in the, started in the 60s. Right. Yes. Having the guy, having the cast and Gene over to uh, JPL and to visit facilities, and and that's been ongoing. And invited them all out for the Enterprise uh, debut, if you will. Right. <laughs> that shuttle rollout. That's a, some of these are like iconic moments now, and uh, and some of the astronauts in the station, the, the reaction when Leonard died, and then we go mm-hmm. back and find. I love finding the black and white photos from the '60s of the. The, the first Mars landing and the, the, the guys at Mission Control wearing the Spock ears. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just in a show. So, but the historical context of, of this is the fact that it's 76 and Gene's already fighting the, as the, as the tip of the spear, <laughs> fighting the, uh, hey, 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 don't, don't fall into the stereotype trap. Right, exactly. Right? Because none of our fans are stereotypical, not really. Uh, they all tend to be so highly intelligent. It's just, it's just a wonder to talk to them. It's lovely. And uh, our connection to NASA is wonderful, too. I always love that. <laughs> well, Dorothy, again, uh, this, this Eisenberg memo was just such an... Again, it wasn't, wasn't your bailiwick at the time, no. hands-on. But some of the themes here are, um, are interesting and no surprise to a lot of us, but the fact that Gene was, took it upon himself to... Introduce the studio guy coming in right. to what Star Trek was all about, I thought was interesting. Uh, anything surprise you in the whole memo? Um, not really. I, I, there was a, a, a discussion of uh, Jimmy Doohan's uh, problem with weight, but uh, we all have problems with weight as we get older, so... <laughs> yeah, only in <laughs> that's, a practical... That's new. Yeah. Only in a practical sense, yeah. <laughs> yes. And once again, though, thank you for coming by. Thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. For more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, that's me, at larrynemachek.com. podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.